0: Theatrical Shenanigans with
1: John Busser.
0: Hello there and welcome back to the shiny new season 2 of Theatrical Shenanigans. I hope you haven't missed me too much and I hope you enjoyed the Mini Shenanigans series over the summer. For those who have only recently discovered Theatrical Shenanigans, allow me to introduce myself and it. My name is Rachel Feeney-Williams, and I have been the producer and host of Theatrical Shenanigans since January 2023, and have been a playwright since 2008. The idea of the show is very simple. Every fortnight, I introduce you to an audio play produced from a script sent in from a very talented playwright from anywhere in the world, and I also introduce you to a guest who then discusses their work and the play with me. So without further ado, I will introduce the very first guest for this second season. He's been acting in the Cleveland area of the USA for 25 years. Not only that, but he's an incredible graphic artist and playwright of 95 short plays and monologues. I had the great pleasure of producing his play, A Conversation About Mum, in our last episode of season one back in May. And now he joins me as a fabulous guest. He is John Burstall. Welcome, John.
1: Hello, Rachel. Thank you for having me. <laughs> And by the way, I listened to that episode, mm-hmm. and uh, your actors did a fabulous job with it.
0: Well, thank you very much. So, obviously, the big question that I always start with is, how did you get started?
1: I actually got into acting very late. Uh, a lot of my uh, peers and contemporaries, you know, they they all started back in high school or even grade school, but I didn't get into it till uh, my late thirties. It was just not something that was on my radar. Uh, Most of what I was concentrating on were graphic arts. And then um, one day I tried out for a play, which was The Odd Couple, Mm -hmm. um, being a a favorite film of mine. And I'd always thought it would be fun to be in the play version of it. So I tried out for it and did not get cast. but that led the theater to sending me notices for other plays. And the very next play that uh, uh, I got a notice for, I tried out for and got in Mm. and I had a very small, but I like to think vital part in a a play called uh, Whose Life Is It Anyway? Mm. Uh, And uh, from there, I just went show to show to show and uh, just fell in love with being on the stage. And so um, I was doing that for a number of years, and that sort of led into the writing.
0: But you not only write yourself, you support other writers in the Dark Room project. How did you become involved in that?
1: The Dark Room was created by a group called the Cleveland Theatre Collective. What they wanted to do was give playwrights a chance to hear their work out loud. and so uh, early to to mid-2000s, uh, a group of writers got together and they put this together. So it w- they found a, a place where playwrights could meet, audience members, mostly comprised of actors, could come and watch this and you would hand out copies of new scripts to the actors and they'd go up and do a cold reading. And it was really... The intent was just so that the playwright could hear the words out loud. And I got involved as a reader first um, and did that for a little bit and thought, boy, there's a lot of great stuff coming through here. I want to try this.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: in 2006, I wrote my first script and brought it there and have been bringing scripts there ever since. And so everything that I've written, I always test drive it at the dark room. And it's been very, very, very helpful to me.
0: Well, so I know from obviously personal experience, you're a great supporter and encourager of the Playwrights and the New Play Exchange as well. Um,
1: oh, I try to be. <laughs> There's a lot of great stuff on there.
0: Mm. It's just that was one of the reasons I kind of started um not only theatrical Christianity and, but my play reading group as well was because I realized through the pandemic that there were so many amazing playwrights out there and it was just so great to hear stuff being especially when it's stuff being read for the first time because then you feel like you're you're part of something special yes um the obviously the other side of uh what you do is the uh the graphic artistry do you find that obviously that came first before the playwright, But do you find that both of them kind of coincide now? do you do you draw for your plays? I suppose is the question I'm dancing it, around?
1: it's It's funny because um uh, i I notice that when i unless i I make a concerted effort to do so and combine them, like I have designed um like little mini poster images, if you will. Mm-hmm for some of my plays and it's been fun to kind of put a uh a uh, graphic um edge to it just to to see like you know rather than just having the the printed words um put some imagery to it that and that's been fun to to do but uh strangely enough for myself i find that if i'm writing i'm not drawing and if i'm drawing mm-hmm. I'm not writing. it's like I have a hard time putting both of those things to work at the same time, but that's just me i'm I know there are other uh writers that do similar things and they seem to uh create very easily both ways mm. that's not that's not the way it is with me.
0: Some people are naturally designed to multitask,
1: yes, yeah. <laughs>
0: So of the many projects and works you've had produced, has there been a particular standout moment for you?
1: Actually, uh, uh, as a standout moment, um, it was one of the very first pieces I'd ever had produced anywhere at a a small theater. And um, the play was called Dr. Wu has been eliminated. (laughs) And it was kind of a, a comedic take on bond villains and their henchmen and I actually got to be in it um, as one of the henchmen uh, so it was it was very gratifying to be out on stage not doing somebody else's stuff but doing something I'd written mm. because then I figured if it didn't get a laugh I have no one else to blame but myself <laughs> But if it did get a laugh, then I could share that with the rest of the cast. Um, but I, I really enjoyed that, that very first piece.
0: Now that we've heard about John and his fabulous work, we move on to our playwright and her wonderful play. Lisa Caresimo is an assistant professor of musical theatre at Southern Utah University and the co-founder and director of Catalyst, a theatre think tank. Lisa's plays have been seen internationally in New York, in San Francisco, and Sacramento, USA. I think I need a breath after that. As well as her work as a playwright, Lisa is also a performer and a composer, with works recently seen in the San Francisco Bay Area. And if all of that wasn't enough, Lisa has served as the Artistic Director of Kairos Theatre in New York City, and on the faculties of NYU, NYU, and the Manhattan School of Music. And she is also a proud member of the Actors' Equity Association and the Dramatists Guild. So just a short list of achievements there. Lisa's play is called Cloudy with a Chance of Contempt and is based on a true incident where she was the girl on the other end of a telephone. Lisa says regarding the piece, Now that I am the age my parents were then, it was fun to imagine what their conversation was during the minutes between when I hung up on them and when they called me back. And that is what we're here to listen to. Theatrical Shenanigans presents "Cloudy with a Chance of Contempt" by Lisa Caresimo.
2: I did not see that coming.
3: How dare she!
2: What are you doing? Calling her back. What are you going to say? Ungrateful, disrespectful. And then what do you think will happen?
3: Why are you so calm? We
2: can't go charging back in there without a plan.
3: Would you have ever said that to your parents?
2: We moved to state away from them, so I never had to.
3: We should just go get her and bring her home.
2: She's 21. She's
3: always been immature for her age. She's not she won't ready. won't come with us. We'll make her. How? Dan would never.
2: This is not about Dan.
3: <laughs> How are you laughing?
2: Hear me out.
3: She's sitting there right now thinking she's getting away with it. She
2: is getting away with it.
3: Not if I can help it. We have to call her back. She's
2: been getting away with it for years.
3: Don't be ridiculous. What?
2: How many times did she get in trouble as a teenager?
3: Do you not remember the mouth she had on her?
2: Really in trouble. Really testing our limits.
3: I personally did not appreciate being talked to that way. I still don't.
2: Think about it. Straight A student... Violin practice, orchestra, books. Did she ever even go out? What teenager lives like that?
3: She was just a good kid. Until today.
2: Dan was pushing boundaries constantly. Alcohol, drugs, girls. Lying about where he was going, staying out late. I I
3: thought this wasn't about Dan. Besides, boys will be... There were
2: girls at those parties. Newsflash. There were girls
3: there when he had sex.
2: But she was so good. Too good.
3: You don't need to get that way with me. I'm not
2: getting any way with you.
3: Newsflash.
2: You're missing the point.
3: The point is, everyone is being disrespectful to me today, including my own husband. And our daughter is living in sin, let's not forget that part.
2: We should have thought this through before we called her today.
3: As soon as I heard that man answer the phone yesterday, I knew she was lost to us. What did we think she
2: would do? Kick him out? Move home? Just because we said so?
3: We thought she had some shred of decency.
2: She did say he was renting one of the other bedrooms.
3: And you believed that? I don't know. You wouldn't know.
2: I am not taking that bait.
3: Because you weren't there. Let's not... You never had to endure the contempt, the disrespect. It wasn't
2: contempt.
3: She did manage to be civil to you in the few hours you were home each week. Congratulations.
2: Why do you have to take everything so personally?
3: And now I should just sit here and let her get away with talking to me like that? To us? We have to call her back.
2: Not without a plan.
3: We agreed the children would be my responsibility, my decisions.
2: She's not a child.
3: She's still my child.
2: She obviously doesn't think so.
3: We have to call her back and let her know she can't just flaunt her... Did you hear how matter-of-fact she was about it? Like it was clear we were in the wrong. Exactly! Who hangs up like that without even shouting first? Oh... Oh, I see, yes. We don't call her back. We just let her suffer for a while, and worry about how upset we are, and then let her call and apologize.
2: She won't call. Of course she will. You would have called. But you also would never have told your parents off like that.
3: Are you enjoying this?
2: All those years of her being the perfect kid, we thought it was because she was the perfect kid. She was just biding her time.
3: She wasn't perfect.
2: She basically did whatever she was told for 20 years, just so today she could say, when I was under your roof, I followed your rules. Now it's my roof and my rules. Call me back when you want to talk about the weather. Wow. Not
3: a penny. She's not getting a penny. She
2: doesn't care.
3: She cares about us. She must care what we think.
2: I think if she cared, she would have done all the rebellious things a teenager does to test the limits. She just sat in her room with her books and her violin and waited.
3: Are you saying she doesn't love us?
2: I thought she did. I mean, we both thought she... She was the good one. She was. What do we do? We call her back and talk about the weather.
3: (laughs) Absolutely not. Was she that unhappy? She moved out of the house and flipped a switch and now she doesn't love us anymore? I don't buy that.
2: Was she afraid?
3: What did she have to be afraid of? She had everything school clothes books violin lessons us was she afraid of us well she better be afraid of us now what are you
2: going to do drive to pittsburgh and spank
3: her i have a mind to sally You want to just let her get away with this?
2: I don't want to lose her.
3: (laughs) I don't want to lose her immortal soul by condoning a sinful lifestyle.
2: That's a little dramatic.
3: Oh, so you're fine with her living in sin?
2: He might just be a roommate.
3: It's disgraceful.
2: Are we going to cut her out of our lives every time she makes a choice we disagree with?
3: She's the one who just cut us out. She did no such thing. She hung up on us.
2: She told us to butt out of her business, and we kept lecturing her like she was still 16 and we had some kind of power over her.
3: So we call her back and let her know we disapprove, and then we drop it.
2: She'll hang up on us again.
3: She needs to know what we think.
2: We already told her what we think. We were very clear. Repeatedly.
3: Loudly. So now we just pretend it doesn't matter? Do we want a relationship with her or not? And just accept the fact she's living in sin. Dan is not a saint. There is no comparison.
2: And neither are we. No one is.
3: None of us openly... Are we
2: going to love our child or not?
3: We can love her by being firm.
2: If we do that today, we may lose her. You're okay with that, aren't you? You'd be fine to never hear from her again.
3: She'll come around.
2: I'm not willing to gamble on that.
3: (laughs) I'm not willing to gamble on her immortal soul. God
2: damn it. When did you get so self-righteous?
3: I don't deserve that.
2: You're not worried about her immortal soul. You're worried about appearances. How... How dare you? Your pride is going to drive her away.
3: That is grossly unfair.
2: If we insist on this one thing in this one moment, we will lose any influence over her we may have for the rest of our lives.
3: Now who's being dramatic?
2: Are you willing to let that happen? Doesn't
3: seem like we have much influence in either case.
2: Not now. No.
3: So what's the point?
2: The point is, we love her. No matter what. (sighs) Fine. Hey, Peanut, how's the weather in Pittsburgh?
0: Well, an interesting telephone conversation, I think you'll agree. That was Anthony Targan as Lou and Megan Bickle as Sally, performing Cloudy with a Chance of Contempt by Lisa Carissimo. So, John, what did you think?
1: <laughs> um, really, really interesting piece. When I first listened to this, because I listened to it um, and then went back and read it. And I'm glad mm. I did it in that order because listen if you read something, you sort of are forming expectations in your mind while you're reading it. You're trying to mm. figure out where it's going to go. But when you're listening to something, you can do that, but it's a little bit more passive. and I just wanted to let it unfold and let let the the audio tell me where it was going rather than me try to second guess it as I read it. And I'm glad I did that because I, I was very pleasantly surprised to find that Lou was not the out of touch parent here. <laughs> um, I mean, and, and, it's not to say that, Oh, I'm glad the mom was, was the the bad guy. She wasn't really, I, I think she was. Um, I, I think the mother Sally was just having a hard time um letting go of her daughter because she was she she said she wants to let her daughter you know like like all good parents you want to let your your kid fly mm. but i think dad was much more willing to let the daughter fly even if it was in a to a place that they weren't necessarily expecting or wanting.
0: Yeah, I, I think that the fundamental kind of poor moral, I suppose, for me was you have to let your kids make their own mistakes.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Um, because, I mean, yes, Sally could have phoned her up and continued to yell. She could have gone all the way out there and tried to drag her home, but all that would have happened is she would have pushed her further and further away and it's like you say the the dad could Lou could see that, but Sally kind of
1: couldn't it It does make me uh, wonder if, you know, there's a backstory. um maybe maybe Sally has a similar sort of interaction with her own parents mm. um, who maybe didn't approve of Lou. I mean, I'm reading into that, of course, <laughs> uh, because none of that is ever even hinted that but again the the reaction of sally was strong enough and rigid enough i mean sally seemed um unbending uh compared to lou but and so it makes me wonder if there's something in you know the backstory of of sally which is a, a really nice sign of good writing when you as a reader or a listener in the case of the audio you're interested in the the full lives of the characters that are in it
0: yeah absolutely as for for me i found myself when i got to the end questioning as you, as you did what sally's relationship with her parents have been like to make her this way um at one point lou mentions them moving like so many hours away from his parents so they wouldn't have to deal with them, so that kind of brings another set of questions up about Lou, Lou and Sally's relationship with Lou's parents, and you find yourself thinking about all these different elements of their lives that you never see, but that snippet of conversation makes you question, and it does kind of make you think, I want to know more about these people, and for me, that's yes. really a sign of great theatre, is it when it leaves you wanting more.
1: Yes, I, I totally agree. I think uh, Lisa did a very nice job with these characters. I'll tell you what, another thing that was intriguing to me, at the very end, um, Lou picks up the phone and calls the daughter and the mother kind of, you know, in the script, it says Sally throws her hands in the air and backs away from the phone. He picks it up and dials. It makes me wonder, is Sally going to want to take part in this next conversation mm. or is going to stay away from it uh, my feeling is it will it will get the better of her and she will want to take part in the in the conversation
0: yeah i mean you can't ignore the the bond between parent and child i think whatever sally's opinions are of her daughter's lifestyle and her daughter's relationship will be in the end Overshadowed by that desire just to be involved in her life as her mother, yes but I we, 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 as you say this is the thing we' we're, we're guessing about scenes that haven't even been written yet
1: <laughs> but but isn't that great that mm. that she wrote something that makes you want to speculate about that
0: yeah, no absolutely I just i I love the the way the relationship between Sally and uh, and Lou is portrayed. I, th- I mean, obviously the actors help, but the way that um, Lou is tend to be slightly slower and more calm, whereas Sally is very erratic and very clipped and to the point. Um, right. it, it almost like shows what how their marriage is like, I suppose.
1: It, it could be that they complement each other very <laughs> well. Sometimes those opposites really work together well.
0: Mm. You get you see it so much in um not only in plays but obviously in sitcoms on televisions as well where you have a male and female couple and they will be very much opposites in the way they behave and their tone of voice and it just works. They just balance each other mm-hmm. um yeah, so all in all, uh John, what's your kind of final thought on the whole whole piece?
1: um I was really intrigued. By this family dynamic and uh, it it actually makes me want to see where this goes (laughs) Uh, I you know some plays have a very natural ending and you're like that's a great button to it closes it off I don't need to know anymore this one I want to know where it goes and and that's that's I think a testament to her writing and her character work that she's got me hooked on this family now and I want to see where it goes.
0: Well, there you have it, Lisa. Both John and I want to hear more. Um, (laughs) So uh, we are actually out of time. John, thank you so much for joining us and kicking off season two. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here.
1: Oh, thank you very much. I I loved listening to every one of these. And (laughs) uh, I look forward to listening to all the rest that you do.
0: So there you go, season two of Theatrical Shenanigans officially off with a bang. Thank you for joining me for this episode and I hope you can join me again in a fortnight where we'll have something a bit more emotional from an Indianapolis playwright with a guest based on this side of the pond. In the meantime though, I've been Rachel Feeney-Williams, this is Theatrical Shenanigans, Bring down the curtain and saying I hope you can join us next time. Theatrical Shenanigans was an RFW Scripts production with music written and produced by Chris Cody.